Good morning, church. My name is Amy DePagne, and today we will be in Genesis 3 and Genesis 8. So turn with me now to Genesis 3, starting in verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also, she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. And turn with me now to Genesis 8, starting in verse 15. Then God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you, birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah, along with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives came out. All the animals and all the creatures that crawl and all the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth, came out of the ark by their families. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, he took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. This is the word of the Lord. Ahora vamos a leer los pasajes en español, empezando por Génesis 3, del 6 al 12. La mujer quedó convencida, vio que el árbol era hermoso y su fruto parecía delicioso, y quiso la sabiduría que le daría. Así que tomó el fruto y lo comió. Después le dio un poco a su esposo, que estaba con ella, y él también comió. En ese momento se les abrieron los ojos y de pronto sintieron vergüenza por su desnudez. Entonces cosieron hojas de higuera para cubrirse. Cuando soplaba la brisa fresca de la tarde, el hombre y su esposa oyeron al Señor Dios caminando por el huerto. Así que se escondieron del Señor Dios entre los árboles. Entonces el Señor Dios llamó al hombre, ¿dónde estás? El hombre contestó, te oí caminando por el huerto, así que me escondí, tuve miedo porque estaba desnudo. ¿Quién te dijo que estabas desnudo? Le preguntó el Señor Dios, ¿acaso has comido del fruto del árbol que te ordené que no comieses? El hombre contestó, la mujer que tú me diste fue quien me dio el fruto y yo la comí. Ahora vamos a leer Génesis 8 del 15 al 22. Entonces Dios le dijo a Noé, 
todos ustedes, tú y tu esposa y tus hijos y sus esposas salgan del barco. Suelta a todos los animales, las aves, los animales y, y los animales pequeños que corren por el suelo, para que puedan ser fructíferos y se multipliquen por toda la tierra. Entonces Noé, su esposa, sus hijos y las esposas de sus hijos salieron del barco, y todos los animales grandes y pequeños y las aves salieron del barco, pareja por pareja. Luego Noé construyó un altar al Señor y allí sacrificó como ofrendas quemadas los animales y las aves que habían sido aprobados para ese propósito. Al Señor le agradó el aroma del sacrificio y se dijo a sí mismo, nunca más volveré a maldecir la tierra por causa de los seres humanos, aun cuando todo lo que ellos piensen o imaginen se incline al mal desde su niñez. Nunca más volveré a destruir a todos los seres vivos. Mientras la tierra permanezca, habrá cultivos y cosechas, frío y calor, verano e invierno, día y noche. Esta es la palabra del Señor. Now you say, gracias al Señor. Amy, your English is great, and Miriam, your Spanish is excellent, so just thought I'd let you know. Um, yeah, I've known Miriam since she was actually really little. I'm glad that she's here, part of a residency. Amy, Bo, you as well. Um, but she was teaching me some Spanish a little bit earlier, and so when we find ourselves just, you know, needing to, you know, scooch in, the Spanish word is escuche. So escuche, so that's kind of what that is. Thank you, Miriam, for that. So if we ever say escuche, that means scooch in to the middle. I think that's, again, that's what Miriam told me. So I'm just going off of what she said. Well, since I, I you know, I started by picking a fight, I might as well continue. Um, I thought Drew did a great job last week, and I was very grateful for his message and his reminder. But as somebody that just loves spoiler alerts, I got to say, I just, I think I disagree with them. How many of you were here last week and you heard talk, Drew talk about spoiler alerts? How many of you, by the way, actually enjoy the spoiler alert moment? Okay. Now, let me just be clear. What I'm not saying is I enjoy ruining it for you. I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy, you know, like the other Drew, and I know the other Drew he is describing. Um, I, I'm not like that. I don't want to ruin it for you. I just have no ability... If I can know what's going to happen, to keep myself from knowing what's going to happen because I have to know what's going to happen. Does that make sense? So I promise you, I'm not going to give any kind of like a sixth sense spoiler alert, but have you guys seen the movie Defiance? Now here, it's been out for a long time, so I don't want to hear that this is a major mistake, but raise your hand if you've seen the movie Defiance. You really need to see it. Spoiler alert. Um, no, I won't, I won't ruin it, but I will say this. It's a true story about a group of individuals that were running from the Nazis at the beginning of World War II, and they ran into the woods. And I, I just remember thinking to myself, this is a true, have I, never, have I never heard of this story? Like, this is a, kind of an amazing story. And when we're watching it unfold, and I mean, there's this, it's literally, it's like these tense moments. It's not like Mission Impossible where you're going the whole time, we know he's not going to die. We know he's not going to die, right? It's not a Mission Impossible moment, right? This is, a, this is a real story. So it's possible that these things are going to happen. And I'm watching this movie, and I'm just kind of wishing Drew Crisp was on my speed dial. But I'm literally wanting, and then I have a sudden realize, Google, <laughs> 
right? I can, I can go back, I can, I can learn about this, and my wife is the opposite of me. Like, she literally is still telling me, don't tell me who wins the war, I don't want to know. And I'm like, the Germans lose. She's like, why did you do that, you know? So it's, it's, it's not like, to me, it's like, it's, this is history, right? So again, it's not like I have to know the, the, the kind of the end of every movie. I'm not necessarily that guy, but if it's history and I can know, I want to know. It makes the movie far more enjoyable. I'm watching these people on the run, and it seemed like to me at least two hours. And I just remember thinking to myself, I saw September 1939 at the beginning of this. we got to be near the end. And all of a sudden it flashes up, January 1940. And I'm like, these people don't have a chance. Google. I won't tell you what happens, but oh, I was so glad they made it. But anyway, I'm really, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm sitting there going, as Drew was describing it last week, I get it. I get that, uh, that spoiler alerts can be really, really frustrating. That for you, it ruins the movie. It ruins the book. But then why is this full of spoiler alerts? I had to think about that as Drew was preaching, as I was listening to him preach. Why does this book seem to have no problem? It, it's almost like it enjoys the fact. Now, hear me, it doesn't give like everything in calculated detail, right? But you all know how it ends, right? And even today, when we have an opportunity to see failure, because we listen to a lie, It's not like the author of this book says, and now I'm going to leave you in suspense for the rest of the book. And then at the very end, the snake loses. It's not like that at all. It's like right out of the gate. There are these constant spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Like I know it looks bad, spoiler alert. God's going to fix this. Yeah, I know it seems it's all undone. Spoiler alert, it's not going to end like that. And if you think about it, every single one of these stories, as you walk through, have something that becomes spoiled. And then God says, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. No, true. You don't know exactly how it's going to work and the kinds of twists and turns Wow, never saw that one coming. Really? Wow, never saw that one coming. But it was coming. Spoiler alert. And I couldn't help but think, as Drew was speaking to us about God revealing himself, God making himself known and making it very, very clear that we are his representatives, that we are the ones who are, in, in essence, not just representing him, but um, being intimately involved within his creation. That God knows in his sovereignty that we, we couldn't make it if we didn't know how this was going to end up. I, I think it's by design that God says from the very, very beginning, I just need you to understand, like your brokenness at its worst is not the end. 
That's grace, isn't it? Isn't it good to know that? Which, which means that if I could put my sermon in a sentence, it would go something like this. God will judge, but then also redeem, and then ultimately restore everything perfectly. And I want you to look at that, because that's what we're going to see in each of these stories, that God will, in fact, what? Judge. We can't escape that. That is a reality that exists in the Bible, and it exists in our own lives. Judgment. This is right, that is wrong. These are the blessings and these are the curses. This is life and this is death. This is exactly what you've asked for. This is exactly what you knew was coming. Maybe not exactly, but you know what I mean. These are these two paths. These are these two roads. One is very wide and one is very, very narrow. So there will be a judgment. But just so we're all clear, God says, from the very, very beginning... It doesn't end there. As we look at these consecutive chapters in 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, although we're going to basically be looking at three stories, the fall of Adam and Eve in chapter 3, um, the, the, the frustration and the death of Abel at the hands of his brother Cain, and then the story of the flood. Those three stories are stories of conflict and sin and failure and judgment and redemption and restoration. Wow, which again is a preview of other stories where we're going to see a similar pattern of people having an opportunity, failing, and God then reaching down, reaching in, and saying, no, 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 even when you listen to a lie, I got you. Even when you choose not to not listen to me, Escuche, I got you. I got you. Which means maybe a better way to describe what I am describing here is not just that God will judge and then redeem and then restore, but I want you to think about this. You can trust God before you fail him. Right? Adam and Eve could have trusted God before they failed him. Listen. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not. For the day that you eat it, you'll surely die. They could have trusted him there. And we're all good to trust God in those moments. But the goodness of God doesn't end there. You can trust God before you fail him. Are you ready for this? The story that we are going to see as we unpack the stories of the Bible also includes that as you are failing him, you can trust him. Think about that. As you are failing him. Now to make it clear, the Bible says, and Paul says it so clearly, do we continue to sin that the grace might abound? And the answer to that is no, never. And we will always wrestle with that. Do we continue to sin so that God's grace might abound? And the answer is no, the consequences are too great. The pain is not worth it. There's a better way, and it is God's way, and we can trust him. And that being said, hear me, as you are failing, God can still be trusted in that moment. As you are falling, God can be trusted in that moment. I don't know if we know that. I don't know if we believe that. 
And again, we said most of our, oh, I wish I would have. Oh, I just wish I wouldn't have. Me too. And as you're failing, he can still be trusted. Which then just naturally means that after you have failed him, after you have failed him, and you look around and you know how naked you are, how vulnerable you are, how broken you are, how rebellious you are, how selfish you are. Now what? Trust God. Trust Him. Before, during, and after sin. That is the story of God. Trustworthy all the way through it. One of the things that just these three these 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 chapters three through nine really do teach us is that sometimes we talk about innocence lost. Oh, they lost their innocence. Oh, whatever that might be. But if we learn something from the story, it's not innocence lost, it's innocence forfeited. Like they knew. Now, church is a place where I think it's only fair that we are honest. Have you ever read the story about Adam and Eve in Genesis 3? Do not eat of the, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And they eat, and God judges them. Have you ever just thought to yourself, again, this is church, we can have honest conversations here. Have you ever thought to yourself that the punishment didn't fit the crime? Like, man, just wow. <laughs> Man, God was really serious about that, wasn't he? Well, yeah, you can tell he's serious when he says, do not eat of it, for on that day you will surely die. Okay, but, okay, all I did, this is what sin does. All I did, listen, all I did, let me, no, whoa, 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 I don't think you understand. All I did, that's sin. All I did was eat a fruit. No, that's not what you did. That's not what you did. Because you had the ability to eat from all the trees. You, you could have had all the fruit. You could have been perpetually full. You didn't just eat fruit. One of my favorite definitions of sin, I heard a preacher say many, many years ago, and I just, I love the imagery of this. It, it shows our smallness and God's greatness. It says this, sin is you and I looking at God, knowing what he has said, and then we shake our tiny little fist at him and say, no, I want it my way. That's sin. It's not just all I did. It's sin, um, sorry, it's innocence forfeited, not just innocence lost. And I, I think in order for us to truly understand the story of God and understand how a cross would stand at the middle and to know how we move between tree to tree, how we deal with the fact that there was a snake and the snake lied and, and our, um, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, when they embraced that lie and then we all, in essence, kind of live in a, in a fractured, in a broken world that God is in the process of judging, redeeming, and restoring that you and I own, it's not I just, 
It's, I, I wanted it my way. I really did. I just wanted it my way. How does God respond to that? Innocence forfeited. Well, we can look back at these stories beginning in chapter 3. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. That's the name Yahweh there. The Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And instead of running to see him, instead of walking with him, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Donde estás? Where are you? Which, by the way, is, is not a matter of geography. I think it's important that as we deal with these stories and grateful for um, kind of the ongoing conversation that we're offering in our Consider This. So there was a lot that Drew couldn't unpack last week, and we went back into the studio and unpacked more of it. And if you go to Consider This, you'll hear more. Um, we're going to be doing that again with this message as well, talking more about God's judgment and more about the, the amazing fracture that existed. When God said, where are you, he, it's not like he can't find them. I would argue the question is more spiritual than geographical. Where are you? Do you understand what you've done? Do you understand the brokenness? Do you understand the consequences? And by the way, the answer that Adam and Eve would have to give him is no. We did not know. We still do not know. They don't know chapter four is coming. They don't know their time in the garden is done. All they know is that we did not listen. Chapter two ends beautifully. And they were naked and they were not ashamed. And then by taking, desiring, taking, rebelling, listening. Now they're naked and they hid. And what does God do? Good riddance. Where are you? He pursues. Where are you? By the way, as a point for this series, I think that's a good question that we need to keep coming back to. God saying to Adam and Eve, where are you? And as we walk through this journey to be asking that question, like, where am I in this story? What, what does it look like for me to respond to the great story of God, recognizing that there is an innocence that I have not lost, but I have forfeited? And God pursuing you, where are you? Where are you? One of our strategies as a, as a, as a staff and as an eldership is to help people understand their current spiritual condition and then take the next steps in responding to God's grace. And so I want you to hear, as we hear the different stories, where are you in this narrative? Again, remembering that you can trust before, during, and after you fail him we're going to see this constant pattern. Sure, it is innocence forfeited. And yet, even after forfeiting that, knowing better and not choosing it, God pursues. Where are you? Where are you? Isn't it amazing to see God's grace? God says in verse 13, so the Lord God asked the woman, 
what have you done? And again, not that he didn't know. One of the beautiful pictures of God, and I think it's what's so interesting about these stories in the beginning of Genesis, is that you really have to ask, did God not know? And the answer is yes, he knew. So then why did God? Now that's a great question. I don't even have all the answers for that. I just know that he did. Why would God make a garden? And why would God allow? Why would God allow? And the story seems to be not just why would God. And why would God? It's because somehow God has a plan. Where are you? What have you done? Nothing that can't be undone. Innocence forfeited. Again, I'm not here to give kind of a defense for God, but did you notice that every time we fail him, he is more kind and more gracious than you and I could ever imagine. Look at the next story. Cain murders his brother. Literally, God, what have you done? All I did was eat some fruit. Like, where can this lead to? Turn the page. Look at how the story then continues between Cain and his brother Abel. Do you remember when Scott preached about um, uh, Ecclesiastes and he talked about Hevel? That's that word Abel. Hevel? Hevel? Abel's name means breath. Just bare. That's Abel. Barely there. If we pick up the story in verse 5, Cain and Abel, um, what's weird is Abel seems to not even realize what's happening. Cain is angry. Picks up in verse 5, and Cain was furious and he looked despondent. What have you done? All I did was, now they have a son who is furious and despondent. And then look at, watch the interjection of God in verse 6. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look so despondent or downcast? Why are you so upset? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Again, do you see the, the if you do what is right, don't you, don't, won't you be accepted? Do you not see? God interjects, God provides, God speaks, God reveals, God helps. It's not innocence lost, it's innocence forfeited. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That phrase appears almost back to back in chapters 3 and 4. It's a very interesting picture. When Adam and Eve rebel against God and God punishes them, it's not just like random punishment. It's good to see. God just doesn't go, well, you know what? Um, you, did, you did A, and so I'm going to give you Q. Like just randomly, out of nowhere. No, no, no. If, if you look and see how God responds and reacts, it might not make sense to us. I believe it makes sense to him. He's not just kind of a fly off at the handle. No, I mean, I am life, and you choose not to follow me, you choose not to, like, my words are life, and if you rebel against the words of life, then the natural cause is what? Death. So when the law comes, 
Today I give you life. Follow my words, which are life. Now, by the way, if you don't follow my words, you will find what? Death. Just like in the garden. God says to Adam and Eve, not just random punishment. You don't like to listen because you want your own way. And it just doesn't end with God. Like, I I know that you have probably shook your tiny little fist at God and said, my way. My question is, have you done that to anybody else? Have you ever done that to your parents? No, my way. Have you ever done that with your friends? Uh Uh-uh, my way. You ever done that to a teacher? Uh Uh-uh, my way. You ever done that to a spouse? Uh Uh-uh, my way. What God is describing is this constant conflict of you and I that just want it our own way. And so God says to Adam and to Eve, or particularly to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, and that doesn't mean you're going to think he's so cute. You're just going to want to make him supper, and hey, honey, can I get you anything? That's going to be your desire, and he's just going to rule over you. No, no, no. The word for for desire is the same as the word, same Hebrew word as the desire here. How does sin desire you? To control you. And in a marriage, even an amazing marriage like the one that Andrea has. (laughs) And I have two. Okay, one flesh. Remember how that works. You know what our biggest problem is? I want it my way and she wants it hers. And God says to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But by the way, sin is right there and it desires you. It desires to control you. It desires to manipulate you. It desires to use you. But you must rule over it. God gives some amazing pictures It's not innocence lost, it's innocence forfeited. Look at Genesis 6. Again, what have you done? Look where it leads. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Just in case you ever wonder, what does a little sin do? The answer is more damage than any of us could ever imagine, individually and collectively. I know it seems like a small thing. I remember when I was raising up my boys and there would be this tiny little thing that they would do, tiny little thing that they would do. They would just, Andrea would say, hey, could you? And they would go, no. And and when that would happen, I would lose my mind. Oh, whoa, whoa, it felt like the world just stopped there for a second. Everybody have a seat. Did I just hear someone say no to my wife? And I'd sit everybody down. We, we, this could take hours, guys. I don't know. Did one of you just say, it's just no? Huh. Look at how this continues. Look at verses 5 through 7 of chapter 6. Again, now hear me. This doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. I mean, there's a lot of time that happens. But consecutive, I want the consecutive, like, fruit-grabbing, eating. Um, I love that one phrase, um, delicioso. I looked at the fruit, and it was delicioso, right? You almost have to say that in Spanish. It was, just, it was just delicious, and I had to have it. Well, where would that lead? Here's where it leads. 
Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. And the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl, the birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. He said that. Knowing, again, there are so many genuine, still questions that need to be asked whenever you're looking at the book of Genesis. And I don't fully understand why, but I know why. Because God is not undone by these things. And then even after innocence has been forfeited, what we see in the hand of God through the story of God and through the stories contained within, is this, that God provides grace through judgment. Grace through judgment. And that's hard for us to, it's hard for us to acknowledge or it's hard for us to admit, it's hard for us to deal with. Again, this is why we almost want it to be like a free pass. Mulligan, can I just, can I get another chance? And biblically speaking, the answer is yes. But you've got to go through this now. That's the continued story. And then God doesn't just reach down. He steps down into. And not just at the cross. Not just at a manger. Not just in a boat. But actually all the way through the story. God reaches down and says, I will provide grace in the midst of this judgment. That's what the spoiler alerts are. First spoiler alert in the Bible, I think is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. As God is describing in this conversation between the serpent and the woman. And, and more than anything, those that that will represent, God literally says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And most believe that's describing that one will be victorious over the other. I mean, yes, there is, there's, there's conflict and difficulties and, and even now death has entered into the equation, but, but it is not death ruling over all for there is one that we will learn who is the Alpha and the Omega who has the keys of death and of the place of the dead, Hades. And so there is grace through judgment. Notice what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. God doesn't say, okay, you're naked. Now we're just going to have a TV show called Naked and Afraid. It's just going to be the rest of your lives lived out. No. Think about this. God doesn't just abandon them. The amazing grace of God, verse 21 of chapter 3. And then the Lord God made clothing from the skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. He intended them to be naked and unafraid. They shook their tiny little fists, exposed their nakedness, and God said, I will cover you. I will restore dignity to you. Something else will give its life, and you now will not be ashamed for your nakedness. Wow. That verse can preach. 
And then when Cain and Abel are in the midst of the fallout from that. Actually, Cain is the only one that has to deal with the fallout from that. Look at verse 13 of chapter 4. God pronounces judgment on Cain. He drives him away, very much like he drove his mother and father out of the garden and then posted an angel at the gate. You cannot eat of that tree again. And so he he banishes them. The same punishment for Cain, which you'd think, I mean, right? Like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. No, God is incredibly gracious to Cain. He drives them out. And look at verse 13. But then Cain answers the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. After he murdered his brother, his response is, well, what you're doing is too much for me. No, no, I know that I I just murdered my brother, but your punishment is too much for me. All I did was murder my brother. What would you say to Cain? Well, what I would not say is what the Lord actually said. My punishment is too much for you to bear, he says, since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord responds to him in that case, grace, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain. We don't know what that mark is, but he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him, grace. And then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Not unaffected, but still living in God's kindness to him. And then obviously the story of the flood and the amazing destruction that comes because there was no one righteous except for Noah. And God spares. Notice how it is described in chapter 8 after the flood is over. Then God spoke to Noah. This is in verse 15. Amy read to us. God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you, birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. That's the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve, or the command that God gave to Adam and Eve. Now it will be continued through them. Grace continues. And so Noah, along with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, came out, and all the animals and all the creatures that crawl and all the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark by their families. Grace. That's why Peter picks this up. There's something powerful in the midst of God's judgment that there's still grace. I, I think about the statement that we see in Genesis 6, that but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man. <laughs> Not enough to save him. Like God was still kind. And Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered them as burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the aroma... Look at this. He said to himself, when God covenants, he first covenants with himself. I don't know if you notice that. He doesn't promise Noah. Noah just gets the benefit, but God promises himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, though every inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. And from Canada, winter is long, 
Day and in, in Oklahoma, summer is long, and day and night it will not cease. And the story repeats itself with, with different supporting actors and actresses who have similar struggles and similar failures, who find themselves constantly in over their heads, forfeiting the kindness that could be theirs. And time after time, God says, I will not be mocked. And so there are going to be consequences. But I also, I will not give up. God will not give up on you. Donde estas? Where are you? Where are you? God says, I want you to know that you can trust me before you fail, as you are failing, and after you have failed me. And I want you to know that I will judge, redeem, and restore everything according to my plan. And I know this because. See, that is why I, I couldn't help but when Drew was preaching the sermon and he started talking about spoiler alerts, I thought, dude, but you're going to end with communion. <laughs> Which he knew. You just can't get around it. I, I think that's actually intentional by God. God's not interested in you wondering how this is going to play out. He wants you to know. And we know how this plays out. Because God didn't just give us a word. God joined us in Jesus. And said, what the snake lied to you about, I can heal. What you did not understand, I can fix. And I know that you had no idea that it would end up here. But I did. And I am more. Do you know that? Jesus is more than your lostness or your brokenness. And so he takes the bread and he breaks it, giving a piece to the disciples and saying what was, what was broken in me is healed. Let us take and eat. And blood that was spilled is different than the blood that will be spilled because my blood will redeem and restore. Church, let us drink. That's what a good story tastes like. Now, since we know how this story is ending in us, let us stand and sing praise to our great God. Amen.